I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. And today got a special surprise for you filling in for Jordan Williams. He's off doing his bachelor party for his upcoming wedding. We've got Matt Tamanini, um, managing editor, podcasting guru. He's here for us <laughs> to fill in. I'm very excited to talk with Matt. If you guys have been listening since I've been at Land Grant, the show started oh, with yeah. me and him, so it's kind of a little bit of a throwback in that same yeah. vein, too. So very excited. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm good. Good. Glad to be uh, back on. I don't know that I can fill in properly for Jordan, but I'm happy to do uh, the best that I can. And I will try to live up to his very big shoes. I don't know his shoe size, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, Um, I wear 13s. I've got big feet, so I've got 13s, but still, you know. Yeah, uh, figuratively, Matt, we're we're gonna we're, we're gonna be fine. We we definitely have that same. I feel like all of us at Land Grant Holy Land tend to pull the rope on the same side. So I, I feel like I mean, it'll be pretty there's, there's there's a few times where things get a little heated in our Slack channel. I'm not gonna lie, we had a, we, we we get into some arguments in there. Uh, yeah, those usually make those are usually good topics for articles. Actually, like I usually like, oh, we were arguing about something. I'm going to write an article about it because that usually means yeah. that there's something worthwhile yeah. digging into. If you could create conversation between a bunch of people who follow Ohio State and can agree more, so I think that's fun. And I, I think to start the show, we're going to get into a pretty united front here. Ohio State's pro day was held this week, Wednesday. You guys will be hearing this Friday, so. Overall, I think it couldn't have gone better for Ohio State. I think to me, like, I just want to, like, paint the picture first. I think the craziest thing about the pro day is when all those NFL writers are tweeting out the list, 30 NFL franchises, 12 GMs, seven head coaches, 600 personnel scouts, every single Ohio State beat reporter, a bunch of TV cameras, all there just to watch Ohio State players run around in gym shorts and T-shirts, like – it is crazy to see that. And every single year, it doesn't matter if Ohio State has the number one quarterback prospect in the draft or not. That is what it looks like. 
And it did not disappoint this time around. I thought I thought all the players, it felt like they all had good days. It seemed like when you heard the conversations after, they were getting interviews with teams ahead of the draft. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the pro day before we get into some of the more business-oriented conversations on the show. Yeah, I, you know, I do not subscribe to NFL Plus. Uh, I apologize. Uh, so I didn't actually watch it, but I watched a lot of the the videos that folks were putting out on social media. Obviously, I've seen all the results. It seems like it went well. I mean, I think the Pro Day is such an interesting development. I mean, Pro Days have been a thing for a while. But as people just kind of realize, like, oh, yeah, I can go to the Combine, do the interviews, and, like, maybe pick one or two measurable things to do and then still have another extra couple of weeks to train for the rest. Uh, they become a little bit more interesting. It's a, they feel a little less pressurized, even though I realized that they're still like hugely important to the futures of these young men. But like the fact that they're, in their own facility, they've got the music playing. Um, all their friends and the staff that they've worked with forever are are there on hand. Like, I just think it's a pretty cool environment, and it's fun. And I love the fact that you know C.J. Stroud is throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, Stroud threw to the wide receivers last year when he was uh, you know he wasn't eligible for the draft. So like having that opportunity to get younger players involved, uh, I think is very cool. You go through and look at some of these. Uh, some of these numbers, like I know, you know, we can talk about uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba's for four, uh, four, eight, 40, but like I'm looking at Teron Vincent putting up 26 bench presses at 225, like pretty, pretty impressive. But then Tanner McAllister doing the exact same 22 reps on that as Pallier Note Note, like that's. That's strong, man. So uh, overall, I think it was great. Uh, you know, most of the attention is going to be on CJ Stroud, who did almost nothing in measurables. He just did the throwing and was about as perfect as you can possibly imagine. And is he going to be the number one pick? I don't know. But man, those those Panthers guys, the front office, uh, the coaches, they really seem to be impressed and really seem to enjoy their time watching and talking to CJ Stroud after it was done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think starting with CJ Stroud's a great place. And I, I want to get into some of the young guys too after this. Um, but CJ, like seeing him throw, you know, seeing like he's always gonna have like a like a little bit of a tough relationship with Ohio State fans due to the record in the big game. But overall, like he's just such an elite quarterback. Like watching him throw, watching his confidence. I was reading after that, um, I think it was the Athletic had the article that I was reading and got this info from. But the quarterback coach said that he didn't run the drills. He had the plan. He helped CJ come up with the plan. Like he's like, this is what we can do to show this stuff. But when it came to ordering the throws, moving the receivers around, running the day, it was CJ Stroud. So he showed his leadership in that regard. You know, I I know the Panthers are taking all the quarterbacks, all four of them, out to dinner and stuff. But I, yep. like you said, I can't imagine seeing the smiles on the owner's face who. We all know, like, let's not – let's call a spade a spade here. They're the most important person in the room when there's a number one pick. Like, smiling. I, I And I don't want to, like, use I, – like, I still think Bryce Jones is an incredibly talented player. But the excitement level after he was done throwing wasn't nearly as electric as – from an atmosphere standpoint as – 
what Stroud was doing and like seeing the way Josh McCown was talking to him and making sure he's coming back, like doing that whole coach thing, grabbing the shoulder tight, asking him about where he's going to live in Charlotte and like where they're going to play horse at. I'm just like counting all these things out. And I'm like, it just shows that, you know, college football programs, we see this, they're, they're, they're armories. You never really get that much insight. You get the presser availability on Tuesday, Wednesday, you get post-game availability, and that's it. That's really the only insight you get with the player. Every time I've seen Stroud in this draft process, the conversation goes from his elite ball placement and talent to just the way people gravitate towards him. And when you're thinking about changing your organization, I think that's the personality trait, and that's my biggest takeaway of the pro day, and that's kind of – what we've seen with Ohio State players in the past, they bring a professionalism, they bring a leadership level. And I think somehow they do that at the pro day. They show that. And that's something I don't know how they get it done and how they are able to do that. But I think that's one of the most impressive things from a program standpoint and also a player standpoint. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when you look at Ohio State in terms of what they do on the field, I think. It is very safe to say that they are at the top of like, in my opinion, the second tier. I don't think that they're at the same tier right now as Georgia and Alabama. If they would have held on and won that game against the Bulldogs in the semifinal and then went on and beat TCU like I think they would have, maybe we could have moved them up there. But to me, they're they're still just a step behind. And obviously, you're going to have to throw Michigan into the same level as them because of what's happened in the game the last two years. But when you step back from what they do on the field on any given Saturday in the fall – it's hard to argue with really anything that they do in terms of preparation for getting guys ready to go on to the next level. When you have, I mean, at this point, they are kind of <laughs> have a monopoly on rookies of the year uh, over the last half decade or six, seven years. The fact that they have off the top of my head, what, five of them, four or five of them uh, in that amount of time is insane. And it shows you that what they are doing is not only getting guys ready to play at an elite level in college, but they're also preparing them to play at an elite level in the pros. But even more importantly, and kind of what you were saying about CJ Stroud, both in terms of his leadership, but I think what you alluded to, but didn't say is his mental ability to understand what it is that his job is, what he does well and how to maximize the impact of the things that he does well. And that's true, not just from the quarterback position, but all these guys we've seen, you know, defensive linemen, wide receivers win rookies of the year. So like, this is not something that is just a quarterback Ryan Day relationship thing. This is Ohio State as a program knows how to prepare players to move on to the next level of football, not only from the physical standpoint, but the mental standpoint as well. And I think that's what you see in a guy like Stroud, who during his two years as a starter, if you watch his his interview sessions, whether it's post game or on Wednesdays, as you mentioned, after practices, um, sometimes he shows up on the Tuesday press conferences. He changed his his comfortability and ability to handle critiques and to think and to speak thoughtfully about what was going on with himself and the team changed an, um, an inordinate amount during the first season, his sophomore season, and then took more leaps and bounds into his junior season uh, to where he just feels like a completely different player. And to be honest with you, the same can be said for, for Justin Fields before him as well. So I think there's a lot to be said for Ohio State as a college football program, but I think there might be more to say about them as an NFL football factory. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's one of those things like you need to be a bit of an NFL factory to be elite in college football. So, you know, sure. it's just sure, it's sure, one sure. of those things like 
got to play the back and forth. It sucks the last couple years it hasn't reached the level that you've thought. But there's been issues that don't reflect on C.J. Stroud, if we're being 100% honest. Like, he can't oh, yeah. fall, he yeah. doesn't fall he, down and let A.D. Mitchell run 78 yards for a touchdown against Georgia. He's got to be the guy who makes up for that. And sometimes, you know, I think this is the first time in a long time where our quarterback wasn't able to make up for some of those mistakes because I think there was a few more than we're accustomed to as people who follow cover and are fans of Ohio State. Yeah, you cannot tell me that C.J. Stroud was the issue on the team the last two years. Was he perfect? No, I think there are games you can pick out and series that you can pick out that say that can say he should have been better in those situations. And I think that he would say the exact same thing. But to me, he did everything that you could reasonably expect a player to do uh, to get his team to where they should be, especially in that college football semifinal. Uh, I, I did not think that he performed to the level that I thought he would have against Michigan. And I thought that if he would have played his game, uh, like we saw against Georgia, I think Ohio State beats Michigan. I think he wins the Heisman Trophy. I think they end up beating TCU in the semifinals, and then they have an actual nas- – the real national championship in my mind, uh, at least the best game of this year's college football playoff against Georgia in the national championship game. Um, he, he did not do that in that game, but he bounced back, and I think that shows you a lot about him as well. Guys in the NFL, especially young quarterbacks – you're not going to be the best player on the field. You're just not because all the, the guys who are defending you, whether that's from a, a defensive secondary or the guys that are trying to beat the living snot out of you from the defensive line and the linebacker position, they know more than you do. So you have to be able to pick yourself up both literally and fi- figuratively uh, and come back the next player, come back the next week and learn from that. And I think that CJ has shown that throughout his career. I mean, dating back to his first year as a starter, he had the shoulder injury early in 2021. He sat down for I don't remember who it was Toledo Acker and somebody and yeah, that was the game that yeah that Kyle McCord started after that CJ Stroud came back having given his shoulder you know almost two full weeks of rest and was pretty much fantastic the rest of the way so uh, I don't think that there's much you can complain about from CJ Stroud I know that Ohio State fans will because that's what a certain you know subset of the Ohio State fandom does uh, but overall I don't think you can argue with what he did in his two years as a Buckeye Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's kind of a reflection of a lot of the offensive players in the program. I think it's just sometimes, you know, you just can't line it up on both sides of the ball at the same time. And sometimes, you know, it gets even worse than not being able to line it up. That's where we were at. Thank God Jim Knowles is here. I think there's some confidence coming in. Um, But yeah, the other point I want to talk about with Ohio State's pro day was like the young receivers running and passing catches, right? Mm -hmm. Running and passing catches. Running and catching passes, not passing (laughs) catches. But um, I know Jaden Ballard was probably out there because Emeka was injured, because Julian Fleming is not practicing right now. Yep. But I still think like that says a lot that they were able to trust him. And if we're looking for one little micro story that can impact the 2023 team, it's that I think Jaden Ballard is going to be a guy who sees an increase in role. If they're willing to trust the future of CJ, if CJ is willing to trust his future on this guy, I think that's a big reflection on the work he's put in. And we've seen glimpses. He's got a different skill set, you know, 
Julian Fleming, big, strong. He's got some speed, but his his bread and butter is physicality. Emeka Ibuka, I'd say, probably comes from that same um, build as Fleming in a little bit of a different way, coming from the slot receiver. And then Marvin Harrison Jr., we know he's inhuman, right? But we don't. We, when's the last guy we've had? When's the last guy who's like a true burner? Like, burner? when's yeah. the last time we had Terry McLaurin? When's the, like that's probably the guy. Like. We haven't had even that. Terry. Whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, even Crystal Terry, Lyon I don't think, was that. And Garrett Wilson, well, they did everything too, but that wasn't their defining trait. And I yeah. think that just pure blitzing speed, like it's been a while since we've had that. And I think that could be a, a weapon. And I think the trust they showed using him in the pro day says everything I need to know about where he's at heading into the remainder of spring. I mean, first off, how dare you forget the blazing speed of Demario McCall, who I guess was a wide receiver <laughs> yeah. at some point. He um, had his times. <laughs> I mean, did he? Uh, they never really uh, uh, never found released his place. him. No, one of Tony but, Alford's best recruits. Speaking of the arguments in the Slack channel, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but so I. I think this is he's been injured. He came in as a highly recruited guy. He was he's fast. He's coming back from from, you know, kind of being buried both because of how many great players there are and because he wasn't 100 percent healthy. I really think that he's going to be the guy um, that is kind of the second guy whenever Marv is off the field. I think he's going to be there when they go for wide receivers. I mean, maybe X gets on there. Maybe Xavier Johnson gets in that mix. I don't think Brandon Ennis is, is going to be there. You know, as the fourth guy right away, I think it's going to be Ball- uh, going to be Ballard again. Maybe X. They he's he's proven that he deserves to be on the field. Uh, but those five guys: Marv, Fleming, Ibuka, Xavier Johnson, and Jaden Ballard. Like that's the rotation. You throw in little Brandon Ennis, maybe Carnell Tate, you know, whoever uh, gets in there. Because I honestly don't think that any of these second year guys are going to be in that position. Maybe they will, maybe Caleb Brown, um, somebody like that. But, uh, I, I just, I, I, I agree. Like, I think the fact that he was out there is a, is a big deal. And I think that's exciting because it gives you, like you mentioned, another type of wide receiver. And when you're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, whether that is Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, having guys that can do different things and give him different options is helpful. I mean, it's just it's a different thing. You throw in a tight end or two and, uh, you know, you want to have a quarterback with as many different types of players that they can get the ball to in different situations as possible. Yeah. And another big part of that, too, I I know the last few years, um, you know, you lost Garrett Wilson for a game, what, two seasons ago. You had a mech egg boogie get banged up Mm -hmm. a little bit last year. You were missing Fleming. So Fleming, yeah, it really I mean. Obviously, JSN, that's a big one. But um, just having that fourth, fifth guy, those guys there that you can trust, you can plug and play. And it also takes off the pressure of those three guys, you know. So overall, it's just I I just think that was like outside of watching CJ throw. That was the thing I got most excited about. I think that's very fair. I'm, I, I mean, always excited about Ohio State's wide receivers, but having another guy to, to you know, to see Ryan Day and Brian Hartline play with is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, seeing Xavier Johnson get all the running back reps, you know, it, it would have been interesting to see if, like, they gave Mayan and Travion those reps, you know, because they're not necessarily the receiving types. Um, they can catch, but that's no one's really going to be like – well, I just seen if they trusted them, if they trusted them to run the pro day with CJ, you know, to get that same experience as some of the other young guys, I would have been intrigued to see. I would have been intrigued. I, I honestly, I 
think that if Travion wasn't coming off of injury, I think he would have. He's not fully practicing, or maybe he has earlier this week. I haven't I haven't heard that. But in the first two practices before spring break, he was off on the side, not doing full workouts. Travion, for, people forget like his first year, he was a he was a force coming out of the backfield. So I think if he is fully healthy in the in the fall, I think that's going to be an aspect of. Uh, of the offense that we see, obviously having Xavier Johnson, who is a guy who will, you know, hope to maybe catch on with an NFL team next season, you know, giving him that experience because he does do both things makes sense. Uh, but I wouldn't have been surprised if Trey got out there uh, out of the backfield if he'd been healthy because I think he has that skill set, and I'll be very interested to see if they're able to um, uh, to take advantage of that this coming fall. Yeah, I mean, the last play we had with him where he was. I wouldn't even call it full speed, but like running was that little catch out the backfield where he took off and got in the end zone. So mm-hmm. he's got it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we can move on from the pro day. Um, uh, this one, it's a tough story right here. I, I know this has got <laughs> the fan base a little inflamed. We've got a couple of art, uh, articles about it on, on the homepage right now. If you guys want to go read them, Matt, uh, Caleb, uh, they both did a good job and kind of, I know walking people back from the ledge a little bit while also providing context to why it is still a big deal to lose these recruits. Um, you know, everyone's favorite beat writer, uh, Ari, uh, he had some things to say about Michigan that, you know, was pretty, I, I saw the comments on the athletic people weren't happy about it. Well, some people were, but not our people. Um, it's a big deal, you know, Michigan, you know, the last four or five years, wasn't really able to come into Ohio and snag a top 200, top 300 recruit that often. Like, you know, occasionally a top 200, 300 recruit would leave, but it was never really for the guys in the blue and the, and the yellow. It was usually for a bigger program nationally. Now they've got two guys they've got Ooh. one they've got one, one. okay yeah. we'll let's one be honest yeah. no we'll no 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 i am not giving you a half on this one chris um <laughs> yes they so they have had two players from ohio commit to michigan in the last couple days they had jordan marshall who is a legitimate stud he's the number 91 player in the country he's a running back from archbishop moeller high school ohio state wanted him bad like they they wanted him he was the guy that they really wanted the other one though is ben roebuck who is from saint ed's in lakewood ohio all due respect to him i do not want to he grew up an ohio state fan he made they made it pretty clear he wanted to he wanted to go to ohio state yes but uh, here let me pull up i don't have it here uh in front of me but what he is the number 455 player in the country he is a three-star player he did not have an offer from ohio state we are not giving him a half maybe you could give him a quarter because he's a top 500 player but he's not a guy ohio state wanted so like i understand yeah. that people are concerned in back-to-back days that players from the state of ohio committed to michigan and in their posts talked about the fact that they you know grew up Ohio State fans or people in their family were Ohio State fans and they still chose to go to Michigan. That's the thing that I think is getting people a little bit, you know, uh, more fired up than anything else. Obviously, Jordan Marshall going the number three player in the state of Ohio, a running back that Ohio State wanted, number 91 overall, top, uh, you know, top 100 player. That's a big deal. No one is discounting that, although we can talk about why that might not be a big deal here in a minute. But like, 
Ohio, Michigan has never signed a player from the state of Ohio who is in the top 10 in the state of Ohio during Ryan yeah. Day's tenure at Ohio State. They haven't. They have not signed a single one. They have gotten guys from, you know, that weren't in the top 10 in the state of Ohio, but guys that Ohio State didn't want. So, like, if this becomes a thing, and maybe if Bryce West and Aaron Scott or Brian Robinson or all three of them go to Michigan, then let's sound the alarm. But, like, one guy when Ohio State, you know, one guy, Jordan Marshall, at a running back position, when Ohio State is actually considered the leader for a player who's ranked higher than him in the national rankings, yes, they wanted him. Is it going to be a huge thing if they don't get him, but they end up getting people's? No, it's not. No. So I understand why people are, are nervous and it looks bad, especially with Michigan having beaten Ohio State on the field the last two years. But like, let's just pump the brakes. Like we're not at freak out mode yet. Again, Bryce West from Cleveland Glenville High School, Aaron Scott from Springfield, Brian Robinson from Youngstown. If those guys, if two or three of those guys end up going to Michigan, yes, let's let's get our pitchforks and torches and, and march over to the Woody. But for now, yeah. like, eh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm definitely. I definitely share the same thoughts. You know, you know me. I try, I try to be a little inflammatory sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, but uh, yeah. uh, at the at the end of the day, you know, Roebuck, like they're in on two of his teammates, those two twins from the same school. Like, if they've obviously been there, they've obviously seen them, they've obviously compared them to the two teammates. So it's like, and, and that's not, and that's not to knock them, like. And don't don't come and like break the show badly because I'm saying this. Michigan is a program that people still like to go to. Like it is not like if like they lost this guy to Akron, that'd be something where I'd be like, okay, that's weird, yeah. but I can deal with it. But Michigan just played in the playoff back to back years. Like good for him. But like the point you made, and I, I really fully agree with it. Like they're at the school all the time. If they wanted them, they would have really put yeah. in more of an effort um and yeah on three on three did uh you know i feel like they they had to settle down ohio state fans for everybody they put out their recruiting prediction machines recruit training to ohio state and the list is pretty solid around the midwest in ohio so i really do think um like you said the alarms aren't ringing um Michigan fans are feeling boisterous right now. Um, oh, they have every right to feel boisterous right now, but that doesn't ever fully translate. That's not what wins recruiting is the guy on Twitter with maize and blue fan two, nine, eight, seven, eight. That guy's not going to win a recruiting battle. It always comes down to fit. It comes down to what the recruit wants. And that recruit Roebuck wanted to play for a high level power five school and had that offer and he took it. So can't blame the kid. Can't blame the kid for no shooting shots at a school that he grew up appreciating that didn't offer him. It is kind of what makes following recruiting fun at times. And I think there's so much stress involved with following recruiting that I think we forget at the end of the day, Ohio State's a national recruiting team. And we, as much as people love to go back to those olden days when it's, hey, we've got 21 recruits from the state of Ohio, like that's just not the DNA of how this program's built. That's not the DNA that's going to beat Georgia and Alabama. And I think I put it in one of my – more recent articles that were in the last podcast, I think I said, you know, Michigan has found the key to beating Ohio state, but they haven't found the key to beating the teams at the top. And that's where Ohio state needs to find the balance on how do we maintain beating the rival, but also still build ourselves up to play that personnel without changing our identity. 
Michigan's whole identity is beating Ohio State. They don't have an identity to beat even TCU at this point when it comes to a national game. That, to me, is why I'm not worried about the recruiting. I'm worried about the fan base, honestly. Like, this is this is a tough time for them. And we just need to get a recruiting win on the board. Yeah. I mean, look, Ohio State currently um, – let me pull up the rankings here. Uh, I had it earlier because I was – so basically in the article that I wrote that came out on Thursday, um, I broke down all of – Ryan Day's recruiting classes. I didn't include 2019 because he wasn't. I mean, Urban Meyer didn't say that he was retiring until after the early signing period, so I didn't really count that one. Um, but he's he's gotten nearly every top 200 player from the state of Ohio that he's wanted. There's really only two that Ohio State legitimately was going all out for and didn't end up signing. And they both are were linemen that went to Notre Dame. Um, everybody else he's gotten. But you look at Ohio State's recruiting right now, they have four players in the class. They have the number two player in the country and Jeremiah Smith. They've got the number 88 player in the country in Ian Moore. They've got the number 139 player in the country in Garrett Stover. And then they have... 545th player in the country, Mark Nave, who uh, just committed earlier this month. Um, but if you get a lower rated uh, in-state offensive lineman, I'm, I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, he's lo- rated lower than, than Roebuck is. But like if Ohio State takes him, like I'm OK with that because yeah, they've it, got a pretty good record of turning. It kind of raises off- the question, why would they take Nave over Roebuck, right? Because like, they liked him more. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like I trust them. Um, you know, I trust like, Justin Fry, who is currently rated as the number 10 recruiter in the country for the 2024 class so like he's he knows what he's doing and and i i really think that um like it's fine like I, it's fine it, it, yeah it's, we're not the it's march the house right now yeah it's march like settle it, down people and it, i'm saying it, that to ohio state fans and michigan fans who want to jump in our mentions like just stop yeah, i don't i don't and, care yeah, and to add to that point, the final point is like just look at the average player ratings. You know, it's it's Ohio State's ninety four right now. Michigan's at ninety. So, if you really like want to judge a class in March, that's the place you got to do it. Like, because that's we're at foundational pieces right now. And if your foundation's being built at a lower point, you're going to have the house lower on the hill. So I'm just, you know. I, Analogies aside, like it's March. We're, we're complaining about recruiting because it's March. Yeah, we got nothing else to talk about. We've got until December. I think, I mean, plenty of visits coming. Like there is going to be a lot of information out. So make sure you're reading our recruiting stuff. And yeah, I mean, there's there's the James Peoples, who I mentioned is running back from San Antonio, the number 69 player in the country. He's uh, he's if he's lead high state in on threes. What is what they prediction machine or the whatever RPM recruiting yeah the recruiting prediction machine, machine. they've got him at a 94.1 percent chance to go to ohio state he will be on campus this weekend he will also yeah. be back in late june for an official three-day visit so like just pay attention like they will you know things will happen just keep your eyes open um I know, i'm not saying he's going to commit this weekend uh because you know usually those things happen on official visits but like it's fine we're fine it's okay I promise. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be all right. It's, you know, it's like every, every, and this is, this is what happens. And this is where 
like as when you recruit more nationally, this is how it goes. You're in with battles and they take a little longer. And that's something you just have to always remember when you're evaluating a recruiting class in March. And the other thing you should remember, don't evaluate a recruiting class in March. Yeah, just don't. Um, all right, next on the list, we've got Ohio State's first scrimmage of the spring this weekend. Obviously, the first one is always closed off. Um, I don't even think they have a media viewing session for this one. Um, this is really uh, the first opportunity to really – for the coaches to see, like, last year, all these older guys are gone. This is the first opportunity for guys to step up as leaders, to show what they can do, to show how much of the playbook they've taken on. This is the first opportunity for Brian Hartline to call – plays in a simulated game situation. So there, there is a lot of stuff to be taken out of this Saturday. I don't think we're going to get any real information from it, but I, I think it's something to talk about because pads are on. We're going to see some young guys. And I think Ryan day emphasized, there is a huge aspect of evaluating quarterbacks when they come in to their first game opportunity. This is, uh, his term, they don't need to reinvent the wheel. They just have to show us that they've been learning along the lines of what we've been teaching and make the routine plays routinely. That's what they want to see. Um, I'm just excited. I'm excited to hear the stories. I, I don't want any I don't want any nuggets. I just want real information from the coaches. And I, I just want to hear what story could happen from this scrimmage that gets you excited to read about a scrimmage in spring practice. Hmm. I don't I don't know that there is one uh, that's going to get me excited it, it, it be just because I don't know that we're going to get those details. What I hope that we hear is that the quarterback or quarterbacks play well, but the cornerbacks look better um, because I trust Ryan Day. To get whomever the the starting quarterback is going to be, which I I think it's going to be Kyle McCord, um, to get him ready for the fall. I I fully trust Ryan Day to do that. But what I want to see is is dramatic steps forward for the cornerbacks. And we, you know, I I, look, I, I think it's safe to say that the corners were the worst position group for Ohio State last season. I don't think that's. That's yeah, unfair yeah. of us to say. Yeah, and for a lot of reasons. Everything involved, yeah. Like everything yeah. involved with it is just not a great year for cornerbacks at Ohio State. No, and and I don't think that the, I don't think the coaching staff did a good enough job in, in getting guys in that room. Uh, it was a you know there were only three scholarship corners, and that's that's enough. But there weren't guys who were experienced besides Denzel Burke. You had the top three cornerbacks get hurt in fall practice, so they were always playing catch-up. Um, most of those guys are back, uh, but you throw in Davison Igbenosin, although Ohio State still technically has him listed as a safety on the roster, which I think is very interesting. Um, but if you throw Hancock, Burke, Igbenosin in there and uh, you know maybe get a little bit of, of Jair Brown, Ryan Turner, Jermaine Matthews, even as a freshman, um, if they come out and, and sound like they've made definitive steps forward, that's the thing that gets me most excited. I think the safeties were fine last year. The linebackers, despite the fact that they've been really bad the last couple of years, I think were pretty excellent last year. Like I think Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg uh, were great, and I, I don't expect that to change. You also going to throw in. Uh, CJ Hicks and Cody Simon into the mix next year. I mean, Cody Simon played quite a bit last year, um, but I think you'll see a little bit more from him as they 
potentially move away from the jack a little bit. Uh, but you get CJ Hicks in that mix. I think the linebackers are going to be good. The defensive line, I think having uh, Jack Sawyer move you know, to a full-time end position is very helpful. You get a healthy Mike Hall in the middle. I think the defense is shaping up to be really strong this year if the corners can step up their play. And if we start hearing about that after the first scrimmage, that bodes really well for the rest of not only spring, but summer and into fall camp. So the thing that I'm most interested in is that, of course, I've been beating the drum for Ryan Day giving up play calls now for almost a year and a half. Uh, So if he actually does that, he was kind of non-committal when asked about it earlier this week um, about letting Brian Hartline do it in this game. I think he has to. I I honestly, unless Brian Hartline is horrible at it, which I do not expect, I don't see a situation when in which Ryan Day can go back on that now. He's never committed to it, but that's not something you dangle out there publicly and technically Kirk Herbstreet did the dangling instead of Ryan. But I don't know that you could go back and like say, nope, sorry, Brian Hartline, we gave you a promotion, but you're not ready yet. Like, I think that's a really bad look. So I I feel like we're going to get Brian Hartline calling plays this season. And if this is the first opportunity, I hope that goes really well, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, building on a couple of your points here, I, I think you're right. I think when like if we could like think back in our minds of just like, you know, hearing stuff out of the Woody Hayes, when was the last time we really like heard the defense dominated a scrimmage or dominated a practice, right? Like, when was the last time we heard that? Like, it's been a while. And I think a point you made that would make me still feel secure about what the offense can be in the fall is Ryan Day's never had an offense that wasn't in the top 10 yards per play. Like, it's going to happen. He's going to find a way to do it, whether that's riding the running backs, whether that's, you know, like if he doesn't pick the right quarterback, guess what? You got another quarterback. There's going to be a top 10 offense. I would love to hear a dominant defensive scrimmage. I honestly still need the offensive line to play pretty well, though. So there's like a lot of balance yeah. here because, like you said, like offensive line hasn't has a lot of faces being replaced. So I think that's one where I, Lots I want of guys to hear moving, yeah, some positivity. Like if Josh Fryer doesn't get beat too badly down by Jack Sawyer, I think that would make me pretty happy. Or JT Tuamaleu, like if he holds up well, if you hear that coming out, like Josh Fryer held down the left side very well during our scrimmage. That would be an awesome story. But overall, I would just love a day. And I know it's against a first-year quarterback, so hopefully by the spring they get a little better. But if the defense just comes out and flat-out dominates, you know, they've got more experience in places. They've got a ton of experience in the front six. That would be awesome. I think that would be a great thing to hear. It would yep. show me more progress from Jim Knowles, which, you know, I, I think a lot of people with how the season ended felt like there wasn't that much improvement. It was a significant difference this past year. And just hearing that, like, that would just show me that the formula is working. And, you know, offensive line, good. Defense, awesome. That's what I'd like to hear. Yep. I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm good. Let's Let's have that. And then, yeah, you know, every t- this is like the same time last year. Um, this is when we started hearing Mitchell Melton's name quite a bit. And unfortunately, he got injured, so we didn't get to see that potential. But Jim Knowles, mm-hmm. that was the guy he was talking about, you know. And when you get new coaches in, you tend to have that where, like, maybe a player who's not being talked about as much gets to make a new first impression. We're not going to have that this year. But is there a player that you – like if there is a future piece written about him because every coach is talking about him, who's the player that you'd want to see that from the most? 
I hmm, that's tough because I think there's a guy that has already started to be talked about. And uh, I don't know that he's going to be a starter unless they decide to put him at the jack. And I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, but we're hearing a lot about Caden Curry, uh, who I think looked really good early in the season last year and kind of hit a wall. He talked about it on Thursday today. Kind of he wasn't used to playing at the weight he was at, which is something that a lot of people have concerns with Ohio State strength and conditioning program with putting on too much weight on some of these guys. I think Jack Sawyer has dealt with that too, but um, it sounds like he's doing really well. I don't know where he's going to fit. Like, is he going to be the third guy? Is he going to be, you know, I, I don't know where they're going to put him. So we'll see. So I'm interested in that. Um, Mike Hall being healthy is is really interesting to me. Obviously the corners, uh, Jahan Carter and, and Igbenosin, are important. I'm interested in in Carson Hensman and Tekra Teshabola too on the offensive line to see who is going to kind of fill out that that offensive line. Moving Fryer to the left tackle position is a is a big deal. Um, I, I don't I don't know if that's what I expected to happen. In fact, I'm pretty confident saying oh, it's not what I expected to happen. But it makes sense. I'm not opposed to it. But I'm just kind of interested to see how this line shakes out and whether the line that they go into this first scrimmage with is the one they come out of spring with. Because like you said, with a first year starting quarterback, it's not ideal to have a completely rearranged offensive line with a bunch of new faces. And there are some guys that are that are obviously back. But you you want to have a first year starting quarterback behind an experienced offensive line. You don't want new guys at both of those spots. So who's going to take those extra spots? Who's playing center? Who's playing, um, you know, at right right tackle. So I'm, I'm interested. I don't know, you know, because it's offensive line, there's very few of us that actually know what the hell, you know, to even look for during games to see who's any good. So it's like you and, and Bill Landis and that's about it. So, um, but I'm interested. Like I, th- I, I want to see that line. I think people forget Tekra Teshabola was like the number 104 player in the country uh, two recruiting yeah. cycles ago. So like yep. he's got the stuff, um, and he just got his his black stripe uh, removed. Uh, I think did Carson Hensman get his removed too uh, on I Thursday? Think it was George Fitzpatrick and George Tegra Fitzpatrick, who is a freshman. Yeah, that's right. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, you know, those those are the big positions for me. I, I want to see what happens on the offensive line. Interested to see what Caden Curry does, just because I think he's an explosive player. Um, but yeah, that's 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 what I'm looking forward to hearing in terms of guys breaking out. Yeah, absolutely. You did a good job filling in for Jordan there. I think you would have said Tegra <laughs> and Caden Curry. So there you go. Still I'm on, happy to do still it. On, still on brand, so that's good. So I'm gonna have to pivot because <laughs> that's usually what happens on the show. We say the same guy, and one of us has to come up with something new. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna stick with what I went with on last Friday. I just I, I love hearing about Davis and Igby Nosen. I, I don't need any reason to get excited about a new face in the corner room. Um, this is a huge opportunity for him. I know the whole group's not healthy, but uh, I'm not talking about the corners, but the whole group of receivers across from him isn't healthy, but this is a huge opportunity. I know uh, Lane Kiffin's cooking a little bit at Ole Miss, but I don't think they have the receiver talent that Ohio State does. So how he holds up, how we hear about him, if he has a huge day to build off what Jim Knowles was already saying about him after two practices, there's not going to be a single person who can contain me when it comes to giving him the Jim Thorpe Award in the middle of March. <laughs> just like, just like, don't evaluate a recruiting class. Don't, 
evaluate a secondary player in in March. So just take your own advice there, there, uh, there Chris. <laughs> yeah, you know it's been bad. I, I should protect my feelings, but I'm not going to. Um. Yeah. Outside of that, um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's you know the real the real conversation is always going to come back to the quarterbacks. Um. And I just cannot wait for the spring game for that reason. It's going to be incredibly fun to watch it. But until then, we're not going to get anything. We're not going to hear anything. Ryan Day even said it. I, I saw mad tweets like, you know, how they, uh, the beat writers always live tweet every single thing the coaches are saying, like um, every obnoxious. single one of them, all 23 of them, um, yeah. all tweeting the same thing out at the same time. Um when all these people were mad at the same people for like saying, oh yeah, Ryan Day's not saying anything about the quarterback competition. How are us fans supposed to know what's going on there? And I'm like, you're not. You're not supposed to know. Come on. Because if you know, that means everybody else knows and that means they can start preparing. But even that, like Ryan Day has said he wants to have a starting quarterback after spring. Uh, I, I wrote about it before he said that. Like, I think that's a, that would be great if they could That'd do be it. Deal goal. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't think it will, but if it does, I can, I will, I will put money on this, Chris. If Ohio state names a quarterback after spring, it will be Kyle McCord. There is no chance that Devin Brown is the starting quarterback coming out of spring for two reasons. One, he's a year behind Kyle. So like you want to make sure you see as much from him as possible, but two, if you say that you're not the starter and you've got to sit another year and then you've got more guys coming in behind you, there's a really good chance that he transfers. And Ryan Day has been very open about wanting to maintain the quarterback room and have four healthy guys and all this stuff. So there's no chance in my mind that he says, even if he thinks Devin Brown is the starting quarterback, that he says that until August, maybe July, but probably August. Um, So... I don't know that that's going to happen in terms of him announcing anybody, but why would he discuss that publicly when he hasn't made a decision? He'll say what he has to say, but let's be honest. Ryan Day doesn't say anything about anything ever, and his press anyway, conferences yeah. are absolutely – I mean, you might get something here or there, and it's I'm not mad at him for it. Like I understand why you do it. But they're pretty pointless. Uh, that was – I had a lot of issues with Urban Meyer, but he just told you whatever the hell he wanted to tell you. So like – yeah, that was good. Yeah. And then uh, Jeff Halfley press conferences were amazing when he was the defensive coordinator. I loved his press conferences. But Ryan Day has progressively gotten more and more like a turtle when it comes to information. That's his thing. It's not going to change. Stop getting mad about it. He doesn't care if you know how guys are doing in the horse race for the quarterback battle. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's just funny. I love those stories. Or I, I love the response sometimes. Like you think it's like a non-story, then all of a sudden everybody's getting mad about it. You're like, what? Like, come on. You expected something more? Um, but yeah, I mean, before we go to break, I, I, I agree. I think Kyle McCord is the only quarterback who could win out of spring. And if he doesn't, I think that says a lot about the progress Evan Brown's made. So yeah. either way, I think it's a positive. One, you have your quarterback. The other... You have two quarterbacks, and I know yeah. a lot of people are going to say if you don't have if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. But I like to have two quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I, I think it, in college it is much different than in the pros because in college you are always preparing a guy to take over within the next year or so. In the pros, if you've got a backup quarterback that's like pushing to be the starter, you know 
they've, they're under contract. So that's a much bigger deal. And you presumably want to have a quarterback there for like a decade. If you have Devin Brown, who is pushing to, to be the starter, but Kyle McCord ends up getting uh, uh, you know, the job, that means Devin Brown could very well be the quarterback, let's say, if Kyle McCord does really well and, and goes to the NFL draft after this year. Like, that's a good thing for the future. Now, yeah. let's not do the Urban Meyer, Cardell Jones, JT Barrett thing where you have no idea what you're doing and oh, how to absolutely. handle the quarterback battle in the competition. I don't want that. But having two guys that are capable of doing the job, I think, is a much different situation on the college level than it is in the play. Yeah, I was really glad I was playing my own football during that time because I did not have to deal with that stress. Uh, covering that before with that debauchery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before, uh, yeah, oh, actually not before, we're heading to the break. Um, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. We'll see you after the ads. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Redding, for another episode of the Fuck Off Podcast. And if you haven't realized yet, no, I'm not recording. Matt today. Um, it's been a fun show. I think we're, we've got a lot to yeah. talk about still. We've got the practice media availability next. Um, this week it's about the big guys in the, in the paint um, down low. Uh, the guys who are going to be carving out the path for all of our favorite players, you know, because linemen, they do all the work. The receivers get all the credit. I've heard it my whole life. Um, but yeah, you want to start with the offense or defense? So I'll give you give you the mic for that. I feel like we've talked a little bit more about the offensive line already. So let's start let's start with uh, the defense. And the thing that stood out to me more than anything, I mentioned it earlier, is that Mike Hall said he is back to one hundred percent, fully recovered from his shoulder injury. Very few first year players stand out. Uh, I guess he's not a first year. It was his, his second year, but his, his first his year first time really playing. Yes, yeah, first, first real. Like he came out and dominated, and he looked amazing. He looked like the Ohio State defensive tackles that we were used to seeing from a generation ago, uh, generation of in football generation, not like you know our parents' generation. But like he's he looked amazing, and we didn't really ever see him get back to that form after his shoulder. And they talked about it at the press conferences and the media availabilities on Thursday. And uh, I believe it was Jim Knowles who said like, yeah, he wasn't as effective because he was playing with one arm. And when you think about a guy, his size going up against offensive linemen and only being able to use one arm, uh, it's amazing that he ever got anything done because he did play still some, not a ton, but like, that's a huge that, that that's a huge injury uh, to anybody, but especially kind of doing hand battle with offensive linemen. So it makes sense why he wasn't as big of a factor down the stretch as a lot of us would have liked. But I think he's the real deal. Like again, he was in the recruiting class with JT Tuimaloau and Jack Sawyer, and I think people just kind of forget like he's really good he was the number two player in, a, in the state of ohio in that year he's the number 53 player in the country you know he's 
he's a, as much of a blue chip guy as JT and Jack. If you put those three guys together on a, a defensive line and, you know, whomever else you want to put in the middle, whether that's uh, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, maybe Hero Canoe gets in there. I, I don't know. But that's a really good three guys in their third years in the program. Um, and if he can be healthy and if he can kind of get back to the form we saw in this kind of mini spurts of action last year, that's a huge deal in my mind. Uh, and, uh, and that's exciting to me. So, uh, Mike Hall being healthy and him talking about being ready to hit the ground running this season and Jim Knowles kind of seconding that that's a huge, huge plus for me in terms of what we could see this fall. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, and this is going back to like Brian Day's like turtling of information. I love that. I love that verbiage right there. Um, he, he, you know, he didn't really give a clear indicator on what was wrong with him, why he was only playing four snaps in a game, what happened to him, why he was taken out of games when he was performing pretty well. You know, shoulder injuries, they stick around and you know, if you don't give them time to recover, it's never going to heal. So hearing that is, is a huge sign. And, you know, I think, I think he is the key to the defense taking another step forward next year. You know, you need consistency from everybody else in the room. Don't get me wrong, but having a dominant three technique, we've seen it in the NFL. We've seen it in college. Like Alabama's best defenses have been when they've had a dominant interior defense alignment. Think back to Quinn and Williams. Uh, my call is that guy, honestly. And, you know, if he's healthy and he can play at that level, like he had, he was, the, he was a game changer against Notre Dame in his first real game. He was the one that everyone was like, Holy crap. Who is this guy? And everyone's like, Oh, that's my call. And he, he came onto the scene and it just sucked that we didn't really get to feel that out for the rest of the season. So I'm with you. I think that was the biggest takeaway from this. You know, I think he has the potential to be the biggest difference maker. Like, don't get me wrong. You still need dominant edge players. But the way three techniques can blow up the run game, they can blow up the passing game with the interior rush. That is as pivotal of a role as there is on a football team. Like on offense, need elite quarterback play to win national championship in today's age. On defense, you need a dominant interior defense alignment and that is what my call provides. Yeah, I, I think that finding out who's going to be the guys in the middle will be will be really important. I I know Ty Hamilton's a guy on the rise and obviously comes with some some pedigree in the family. Um, but I've really liked what we've seen from Tyleek Williams as well. So like. We know that Larry Johnson is somebody who rotates players. He said, I think even on Thursday, that he'd like to get to eight main guys in the rotation. So four interior, four ends, um, you know, to have, you know, two sets of guys rotating in and out and then like one extra guy at each position. So to, to get from 10 guys that you can play fairly comfortably. Fine. Yep. I think that he needs to rotate less than he does. But what do I know? I'm not Larry Johnson. But if you tell me that Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimaloa, Caden Curry are going to be the guys uh, on the edge and Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams and uh, and Ty Hamilton are going to be in the middle. Like, I don't throw out whoever you want in there. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, that is very exciting to me. I think that 
this is a take that I think, I mean, other people have said this isn't new, but I don't think we talk about it enough. And it goes back to me talking about the cornerbacks earlier. We, we, everybody wants to see edge rushers like we had with the Bosa's and, uh, and Chase Young. Here's the difference for the most part between them and what we've seen since then. And I think Zach Harrison does not get the credit that he deserves. He's a completely different type of player from those guys. But if you think about how many times he was close to getting sacks in his career, if he'd had the cornerback support like those guys in the in the defensive end generation before him had, the quarterbacks have to hold the ball just a split second longer. I have to wonder how many sacks that Zach Harrison had. Would he have broke, broken records? I don't think so. But I think we would think about him a lot differently if he'd have played with Jeff Okuda uh, and those those types of, of cornerbacks because, let's be honest, since Kerry Combs came back as the defensive coordinator, the corner sucked. And, and yeah. if you don't have guys who can make the quarterback hold the ball, you have a much harder ch- time getting sacks. And I think that's been as much of a difference between what we saw from the defensive ends and the defensive tackles to a lesser degree, because obviously their job is not specifically to to rush the quarterback. But I, I think that the downturn in what we think as defensive line play in the passing game, rushing you know, the run defense is a different thing. But I think it has more to do with the corners than it actually does with the guys playing in so so to me as we see jack and we see jt who i think are going to be elite pass rushers if you get denzel burke back to his freshman status if you get a healthy jordan hancock if you get uh davis and igbenosin in there as a uh you know at the level that we expect from a former freshman all-american i think that's huge for this off or for this defensive line And, and i think that can be a huge difference not only in the passing game in terms of like passes defended but before actually letting the quarterback get the ball in the air so um i i would not have thought that i would be excited about the defense at this point but i kind of am because it feels like Ohio State has not done a super great job in the transfer portal in recent years, mainly because they didn't have to. Like, you know, like they've had enough talent that if they lose guys, they don't have to replace them in the portal. I think with Carter and Igbenosan, I think they've upgraded uh, in the the secondary. And I think that's a big deal when you start to look at like those are the holes that they needed to fill. Linebacker, defensive line were pretty dang good last year. Linebackers probably better just because there was fewer of them. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this, whether again, Hall, Williams, Hamilton, whoever's in the middle, I think our options are really, really strong. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Um, your points about the secondary, I think, you know, when I, I, I we we always talked about that on Twitter and spoke it. It felt like it was going to a yeah. vacuum. No one wanted to listen, but it's yep. definitely a very true thing. Like, I don't get me wrong. Chase Young was incredibly dominant, but. I feel like most edge rushers would love to have Jeff Akuda, an All-American level corner, and Damon Arnett, who ended up being yeah. a first-round pick, uh, helping him out. Well, yeah, let's not forget Jordan Fuller either. Um, yeah. So that's really – it's really going to be huge. Um, where I want to go with this is I like hearing players, you know, they are a little bit looser with who's impressing, who's doing <laughs> stuff. And the three names that you kept hearing were Caden Curry, Amari Abor, Hero Canoe. Um, I feel like Hero Canoe, when you listen and you hear all the stories about him, he's been playing football for 
uh, like a year or two, it feels like. Yeah, three weeks. Um, three weeks he's been playing football. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, the dude's not even – he's from a place that loves soccer. I, I guess football yeah, and From Germany, sense, yeah. But, so um, that's crazy. I think Amari Abor, you know, like you said – Sometimes we think Larry Johnson rotates too much, but when you hear that two defensive ends are really showing out, really impressing the other players, that like when you're you're an oppressor and you're able to speak about another player and you're saying their name, that is actually a pretty big badge of honor, I'd say. Because don't get me wrong, like everyone loves to be a good teammate, but that is, I think, a higher badge of honor than even a coach. Because, you know, coaches always get asked about specific players and they're never going to say something negative about them. So when a player gets asked about it and calls out two players, that's that's a huge sign. And I think Amari Abor, he's put on weight. I think it was very – he came in at like 240 pounds. That's just not the size you need to be to be a defensive end at the level of Ohio State. Caden Curry, like you said earlier, was getting used to his weight, um, which is – you know, it's just it's a battle for 18 year olds when they get to Ohio State to get the bodies right. But you've got a guy you're molding like Larry Johnson is molding Hero Canoe into whatever he wants him to be. Um, then you've got these two guys that are getting shouted out by Ty Hamilton, who's I, it's kind of wild to think that he's one of the oldest players in the room. Like most of the older oldest players in the defensive line room are juniors. That's a big flip. Um, I'm excited. I think. Anytime I hear young guys get talked about by their teammates, that gets me excited about them. Yeah, it, it, like you said, the coaches let a little slide in, in how they answer about certain guys, but you get the most dirt from the other players and actually two different players, young players and guys who have just left the program and who are like talking about NFL stuff. And then they get asked questions about Ohio state, the young guys, because they haven't gone through Jerry Emig's full media training yet. So they don't really uh, feel yeah. super, uh, you know, worried about all of that stuff. Cause they don't know what they're not supposed to say. And then the guys who are gone, they want to talk about this stuff. They've always wanted to talk about it. They just weren't allowed. So I think the fact that we've heard a lot of these same names from both, the younger teammates and the guys who are just departing the program. Um, I think that's a big deal. I, I think that these are guys who we knew coming in were, were going to be interesting and potentially special talents. Some of them have dealt with injuries. Like you said, heroes still kind of adjusting to, you know, the, the, this level of play, but let's go. I mean, I, I these are got players that we expected to be, at a level that they could compete in and make a difference for this team. And when you're playing behind, especially the two ends, the, the likes of Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa, who were both top five players in the country, you're like, yes, you know, you're going to have to play behind them. You know, you're going to get some rotation because you're playing for LJ, but like get yourselves ready to contribute as sophomores and then take over as juniors. Cause it's a really good chance that both JT and Jack are gone after this year. So yeah. I think the fact that they're already talking about them after only playing one year in the program is, is a sign that there's not going to be a huge step back in terms of, of the defensive end position. We can argue all we want. And Jordan, this is like one of Jordan's things about whether or not LJ is still doing his job or not. Um, I, I, I look. I think he's still doing his job. I think he's done. I think I, I've, recently, yeah. You're not always going to get the number one guy in the class. So if you could land a couple top 100 guys, like 
Yeah, all the exactly. senior players on the team right now are guys Larry Johnson recruited. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and, and I think some of the development issues I think are are fair. I also think some of that though, like I just talked about, has to do with the, the secondary the sucking. Same, yeah. Um but these guys are great. I, I'm looking forward to them. I think these are the types of players that do really well in Larry Johnson's system. I think the biggest issue for these guys is honestly going to be whose system is it really, though? Is it Larry Johnson's system or is it Jim Knowles' system? And how those two push and pull together, because I think the implementation of the Jack didn't go right. And some of that might have had to do yeah, with like was- Mitchell Melton's injury last year. And it yeah. seems like... Jim Knowles is pulling back on the Jack this year. Not only is Jack Sawyer now going back to be a full-time defensive end, but he also said like he's they're not really going to play much Jack this spring. Uh, okay, I, so I can give the reason right there. It's because the one guy on the roster they plan on but, using there, Mitchell Milton, is just not healthy. Right, but can you do that position if you, if you only have one guy? who's capable of actually doing it. Like, yeah. shouldn't you have somebody, but I mean, like, don't you want to have a backup? Because if you get to the fall and then Mitchell Melton gets hurt, then you have to put, then you have to reconfigure your defense. And I know he's going to, you know, do some more traditional four, three and uh, you know, and things like that. But it just feels like if you really are going to implement that in the fall with or without Mitchell Melton, you want to have other guys ready to step in yeah. if need be. So I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. And I, I absolutely would agree. You've got to dedicate certain guys to that position because building on that Jack Sawyer, and he was the guy I want to talk about next anyways. So we could just jump in there right now. He talked about the switching back and forth. Like, yes, it looks the same on the field. Yes. He's still lining up at the end of the line of scrimmage, but there is a huge difference in being a stand up outside linebacker. than there is being a hand in the ground, seven technique defensive mm-hmm. end. And I think that's one thing Larry Johnson mentioned today was um, he just talked about evaluating it and stuff. And then he even went on to say, I think we have another guy here that can play Jack, let him. And then he went on to say, let Jack, it's kind of confusing um, reading the sentence, but let him put his yeah. hand in the ground and let him go rush. Cause it's like, they're capitalizing both. Like we can bold one or do something with the other. Um, yeah, go with Sawyer. But, like, Give me Sawyer yeah. instead of Jack when you're talking about the position. We're moving Sawyer back to the line of scrimmage. I think we have another guy here that can play Jack and let him put his hand in the ground and let him go rush. And I think when everyone was recruiting Jack Sawyer, it wasn't to play, stand up, get out on coverage. No, it was supposed to be get after the quarterback. So I think that yep. is where I'm excited. Um, and to build on your point, um, I, I think there is – like. This is something me and Jordan talked about. This roster was recruited to play a specific way. Um, Jim Knowles is a smart mm-hmm. guy. He's an Ivy League graduate. He's coached all over the place. He's had different levels of skill sets everywhere he's been. I think he knows that his current roster standpoint, you know, we talked about it last year. There was this, the Leo term, like, is anyone going to take that by the horns and be the Leo or I guess the main, I guess. But um, no one really did. And I think that's because there's not a player, like there really isn't someone who was recruited for that. I think now you've got Joshua Mickens on the roster. You've got Mitchell Melton on the roster. Uh, Jordan hates when I say this, but you've got Arvell Reese on the roster. You've got guys who have the athleticism to do both those roles. And I think you can build depth there. And I think even if you've got a guy like CJ Hicks, who has shown pass rush acumen at the high school level, you can, you can shift him there to get him some more playing time. You can develop some of that skill set as well. So when he is 
taking over after Tommy and Steel leave, he's got a more diverse skill set that you can use. And that's really, at the end of the day, Jim Knowles' plan. Uh, create diversity in the base scheme. And if he can do that, then it makes it much harder for offenses to prepare. Yeah, it, this is one of those things where I always think of – uh, of, of the New England Patriots when they were in their heyday. What's, what is better? Is it to bend your roster to the scheme that the coaches want to run or for the coaches to bend the scheme to the players that they have? Obviously, a bit of a different thing in the pros because you can go out and like pay people to come play for you. Um, although I guess that happens in college too. But I mean um, – you can do it with a much quicker kind of turnaround. Jim Knowles is getting in there and he had an idea as to what his base defense was. Makes total sense. He's a, a literal genius and he comes in knowing what he wants to do. When you get there, you, you want to try to figure out how you're going to make that roster work with your, your scheme. I think he figured out that he doesn't have the guys yet. You have to adjust what you're looking for. You have to have guys that come in there specifically to do that. Are there a ton of guys coming from high school that can do that? I don't know. Like it's a, it's not a position that they play a ton. Maybe you just go and get a freak, a a freak athlete who plays D end um, and maybe linebacker and just say, look, you aren't going to play defensive end in, in, in the pros. Probably you're probably going to be a linebacker, maybe a safety. So, but a big safety. So this is a position that's going to let you get the best stats. It's going to let you be front and center. And you go out and get that guy who might not be an Ohio state recruit as a traditional linebacker safety or even defensive end, because who mm-hmm. knows how they're going to kind of mix that play up uh, that position up. So I, I think you're 100% right. They have to find guys to do that. I will be, I would be surprised if this is not the base scheme for 2024, but I think I would still be a little bit surprised if we see the the Jack on more than, I don't know, 40% of the plays, maybe half. Yeah, maybe definitely. the Jack is half. If it's more than that, I'd be shocked. I would be absolutely yeah. shocked because you don't take Jack Sawyer and J- or JT Tuimolo off the field. You're obviously not taking JT off the field, but yeah, I mean, maybe – I mean, maybe you have both of them and you let have another Jack out. I don't know. But but like I just don't see that as being a thing with this roster. Yeah, absolutely. And one final point. I think when you have a position like the Leo and you have a position like the bullet, the Viper, you know, the bullet that never happened, it's usually out of circumstance. You need to find a way to Good utilize yes. your best defender. So at Duke, yeah, like you have one guy on your team who can do a lot of different things, and you need to maximize that, find matchups to give them an advantage to really help your defense. And I, I know it's exciting to have, like, this fun hybrid-type position, but at Ohio State, it's like – you recruit all these top 100 players to play these positions because they're good at multiple things. They have a lot of value. They have a diverse skill set. So at the end of the day, it's really not a necessary thing because I don't think it is a position. Like you don't use specialized, you don't use those like special hybrid types unless they're Sunny Styles. That's a different, and that takes it to a different conversation. Isaiah Simmons, Sunny Styles, you have guys who have such crazy skill sets that you have yeah. to do it. But with the guys you have, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuamale, you, you can put their hand in it now and they can drop to the flat every once in a while. You don't have to give it a special name or term. And that's kind of where no. I think it's getting lost. And it was a big piece of one of my articles I wrote a couple of weeks ago 
I just think it's the more I think about it, it's a circumstantial thing that coaches have to do when they don't have the level of talent at Ohio State. And we're seeing that. And that's why I think I probably think that was a big part of the conversation Larry Johnson had with Jim Knowles. Yeah, I I'm a a big fan of of letting your freaks be freaks and 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 letting them do that in my short detour here. Uh, back in an earlier phase of my life, I was a high school and college softball coach. And one of the things we did, we were a returning regional champion team. I think we won two regional titles in a row um, at a high school level. We took our starting center fielder who was all state. We didn't have a shortstop, but she was our best athlete. Never played infield. We made her a shortstop because she was the best athlete and she would get a lot more action playing shortstop than playing center field. That's a similar thing like you were saying with JT. We know he can drop back. We've seen it. Do you remember the Penn State game? Like he has the athleticism to do whatever he wants. If you want to have somebody do that on occasion, you don't need to bring in a completely new guy for a new position. Let your freaks be freaks. And I think both Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa are freaks. I think we all understand that JT is. I don't think Jack has been given the opportunity to prove that he is a freak, but he is. He's a different kind of freak. But let them do the things that actually play into their skill sets there's no reason to reinvent the wheel and force square pegs into round holes which i think is kind of what they did last year it's what they did with the bullet in previous years just go out there and say these are my best players this is what they do well this is what they do well together and just do that there's no reason to try to get cute there's no reason to try to force them to do the things that you have come up with and are different to you if they're not ready for that and if they're not built for that so uh, hopefully after a year under their belt Jim Nils has kind of realized what this particular roster construction will allow him to do and we see more of that this year and to me that is maybe not a traditional 4-3 because I think with a guy like CJ Hicks or, or Sonny Styles. Like I don't need to see uh, what I don't need to see is steel chambers, Tommy Eichenberg and Cody Simon on the field at the same time. I don't need that. If you were going to put a third linebacker on the field, I want it to be CJ Hicks. Maybe if you want to move, I think Sonny's going to be a, you know, just a pure safety, but if you're going to move him down, like I get why you would move him down into a linebacker position, but I don't need three traditional linebackers although steel chambers is not a traditional linebacker um in a traditional 4-3 set so we'll see what they do but i'm like i said i'm excited about this defense and i think they've learned some things and they've learned some things about players and guys have gotten healthy and there's no reason not to be optimistic about this defense i think they were the 14th rated defense in the country in terms of of total yards which is a huge step up from the previous year granted the offensive competition that they played in 2020 two was much different than it was in 2021. So when you look at like yards per play against good teams and all that stuff, it wasn't that different, Mm -hmm. but there was progress. And I think second year progress is, is yeah, we have every reason to believe it should be even better. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like last year, there were times where it felt like there was a dominant defensive stretch previous the last two years with Gary Coombs. It never felt like there was, a dominant defensive stretch on the field, except the game against Clemson, which credit to him. That was, that was huge. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get the offensive line. And then um, we saved the best for last. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've already talked about this quite a bit. I think uh, just kind of looking at things in like a grander sense, you know, just big picture stuff, you know, seeing Hensman and Shibula talk to the media, 
that's pretty big to me. Like I know they're next up. I know that's big. And I know first year players tend to, they're not really allowed to at all talk to media, uh, not even for school projects, Jerry Emig. That was kind of rude when I was in school, <laughs> but um, uh, no Cutler at availability, which is normal. I just want to make that clear. So I don't want people to read into this like a hey, Victor Cutler, like he wasn't at media availability. Why Matt Jones also wasn't at media availability. Like, yeah, he's older, so he didn't want to do it. He let the young guys do it. And um, Victor, Victor's been here for like what? Like, Three two weeks. weeks. Why would you, why would you <laughs> yeah, throw him to the wolves like that? That's yeah, not. We're that's good. not fair. So, I do still think it's nice to see that Hinsman and Chabola were talking to the media. I think that still is a story within itself. Like those guys are in a competition. They're really vying for spots on the field, and that to me, like you have to see what they're giving you, and they're giving us those two guys for a reason, and that's because there is potential that they're starting on the offensive line next year, and I think that is one of the only few takeaways we can have during the spring. We get like, what, 12? We get all 10 coaches talking about their position, and then we get a few players with them. That Those were some of the few players. I'm reading into that because that's what we get. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's great. I, I don't know that it tells us anything about what's going on on the field other than what we kind of already knew, that – they're guys that are in competition. They are guys who are potentially going to be in the mix to be a starter. And I think that's uh, a big part of being a starter at Ohio State is dealing with the media. And not necessarily because, like, they're going to be out there talking to guys every week. Although, you know, Wednesday at post-practice availability, pretty much everybody is there. But I think the pressure and kind of understanding the stakes is, is, is part of that learning process. So if they're going to go ahead and throw those guys out there, Let's go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to see uh, Carson and Tegra in the mix there and, and kind of getting their lumps both on the field and in front of the media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is. It's small. Like, you know, we can't take too much from these. I, I will say um, Justin Fry talking. Um, he's an extra film study all the time. Carson Hensman. He wants to be really good that way. He's a high level talent that's just figuring out how to play. And I, the only reason I bring that up is because he said, he also said you can't timestamp finding starters. The expectation these guys have to embrace practice. Um, to me, practice. all the extra work he's putting in. Yeah. We're talking about practice. Um, Ted Lasso. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Carson Hensman is embracing all that stuff. And, if you want to be a starter and, you know, hearing Ryan Day earlier in the week, and I don't want to like, he's been here two weeks. He could come on later. Like that's why you can't timestamp this stuff, but it just feels like there's a lot of momentum in the Hinsman camp. And that to me uh, says that. And I think like, I, like we talked about with the defense line reporters ask what they want to report for their story. So Justin Fry gets asked about Carson Hinsman. He's going to talk about Carson Hinsman. It's not like a complex like formula here. Um, but I think what he said and then what he said after that, it kind of adds up to me a little bit that he might be taking this job and just working so hard that you can't say no to him. And that is when you have a center, like you don't have to be the biggest guy. You don't have to be the fastest offensive lineman. You don't have to be the strongest offensive lineman. You have to be the guy who knows everything. And, don't get me wrong. Still have to be physical. He's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin wanted him. Why would they want him? Because he's a physical offensive lineman. 
So, you know, you look at the traits, you look at what the coaches are saying, you look at Ryan Day talking about him. And this is something me and Jordan always do. Why would Ryan Day just talk about a player? It's because he likes them. And that's a small part of it. But coaches like players who are going to help them keep their job. And I think that's what I'm hearing from Fry and Ryan Day. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's one of those things where there's not always fire when they when you see smoke, but there's definitely some smoke right now. So we'll see if that you know that proves to be something more. Um, but then again, it is March, so we we aren't one hundred percent sure. Um, you know, if these things will prove to continue to be true by the time we get to August and September. But for now, it sure sounds like he's doing everything he can, Carson Hensman, to to be a potential starter. So we'll see. Yeah. Make them pick you. That's always like what, yep. that's what they always tell you. Don't give him a reason to stay down on. That's what he's doing. Uh, next on the list, we got Zen Wachowski. Um, This was – this kind of goes back to your point. You know, I don't know – why I had this assumption, but I, I kind of like with him being the bison, with him being the extra lineman, I had always assumed Josh Fryer would probably be the left tackle just because like the guy, like, I don't know. He's an extra tight end. That's good athlete. I don't know. I, maybe I did some mental no, gymnastics to convince myself, but I mean, you were right. You were right. He wasn't, he was announced starting. Yeah, he's the starting left tackle. Let's be honest. Like, I don't think there's yeah. any question with Josh Fryer. And Mahalski was told in winter workouts they were going to move him to right tackle. Um, so I think that's an interesting timeline, though, because that to me um, said, like, you know, there's not a lot of time between winter workouts. So when are you really going to tell him? But I, I just think it, it shows that Justin Fry has a plan. I think Mahalski has a great opportunity. Um, and I, I just think this is. Uh, he, he swore in an interview. That's pretty cool. I think that's good. But, uh, yeah, he feels confident he can start at right tackle. I think uh, – I, I mean, I don't know who's going to start at right tackle, but I just think it's interesting. You know, Zemohalski practiced all the last year at left tackle. Josh Fryer kind of – I think he would have been the swing tackle. I think if either of those guys went down, he would have been the guy who came in. Um, but – I think that's big for Mahalski. I think, you know, even if he loses out to Shibola, I think, uh, I don't know if he'd stay just given his age and stuff, but I think he's the definitive swing tackle. I think there is a definitive three at tackle. There's a definitive two battling at right tackle. And I think we're starting to figure out the offensive line a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I, I think that there's, like you said, I think Justin Fry has a plan, but part of that plan is probably just to like, see what happens there's there's so many different options and different configurations that they could put this line together in that just kind of being chill seeing where it goes uh and seeing who emerges is uh is something they're going to have to do before they make a decision because i don't you know because you lose so many guys because you have to move guys around i don't know that you can go in with a fairly definitive plan you can know who you you know you you put guys in the positions because you think they have a chance to do that but i think they still have to be pretty flexible and willing to move things around and and make some concessions based on what they see this spring and and i'm sure they'll figure that out and i think we'll have a better understanding as to who's playing where by the time we get to august in fall camp but for now we'll see yeah, absolutely. I think uh, last point I want to have before we move on to the 
um, the final topic of the day. Um, Donovan Jackson, uh, he's the leader in the room now. Isn't that crazy how that works? You know, you come in, you're the young guy, you've got all these older guys right next to you, and then all of a sudden you're a leader now. And I think that's one of the most interesting dynamics in sports is it's not – it's never like you earn it. Obviously, like there's going to be players. I remember we'd argue about the captains in the Slack channel. Like it's team voted. Like these are the guys they see as leaders. Um, and I think there's that that sense. Like once you're the older guy on the team, you're a leader. Like that's your job. And I think that's always so funny to me because it's not something like I don't know if Donovan Jackson wanted to be a leader or asked to be a leader, but it's his job now, and that's all the questions he got asked about. So. Um, you could tell the way he was answering questions. Um, he's very much talking about other players. The way the media approaches him is like, Hey, you're the oldest guy here. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I think that that's a fun dynamic to like, see that transition from five-star recruit to freshman who's like rotating in late in games to starting at left guard to now you're the leader in the room. That's, that's just fun. And that's just something I wanted to, there's an observation I had. It's so interesting because offensive line is so different than basically any other position in college football because so often in whatever position, but especially at a, at a place like Ohio State, we talk about let's get these young guys in. We want to see these young guys as early as possible. And like you said, Donovan Jackson did play a little bit as a freshman, but that's a super rare thing. It takes time for guys to really be um, – capable of doing the things that they need to do both from a physical strength wise and from kind of the mental aspect of playing offensive line against the elite athletes that they will at the college D one level. And this is a fairly normal progression to get to be like, okay, you're in your third year. Like you're an entrenched starter. Now most guys don't start as sophomores necessarily, but now that you're a leader, like that is, that is part of the responsibility there. And Donovan Jackson was, you know, one of the stalwarts on that line. I mean, Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler, Paris Johnson Jr., they led the offense in, um, you know, in run blocking snaps. So they were out there. They led the team in offensive snaps as a whole. They were out there. So these are the guys that last year were the leaders of the offensive line, two of them are now gone. So that leaves Donovan Jackson, even though there were other guys, Matthew Jones, who was up there as well. Um, uh, and, and, and stuff like that, but he's the guy, he's the, the highest rated guy on that offensive line. Like this makes sense. And it's very, I'm very happy because it shows like the plan works and it's easy to forget about offensive linemen who, you know, don't play necessarily in their first or second year. And you're like, uh, okay, they're a bust. But were they? Like, it just takes yeah, time yeah. at this position. It's a really hard thing to do. Well, yeah, most of these so, guys come in. They're 270 pounds. They have to put on 40 yeah. pounds. And they have to get used to being 40 pounds heavier. And people are like, why is the five-star not playing ever, like right away? Or why is that four-star guy we got not playing right away? And it's not the same. And that's something, too. Like, with the evaluations, yeah, there are ready-made guys. And those are the five-star recruits. But – that's why you can land a 350th ranked tackle and he grows into a first round pick like Dewan Jones. And he was even lower than that. So I'm excited to see this line. I think you talked about the process. I, I still think even with coach, Hugh must not be named being the guy not recruiting too well. I think Fry's done a good job of like doing his best to 
influx of room with talent and they hired him because also his development chops at UCLA, Boston College were pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, Let, I real think quick. Let, let's let's give Dewan Jones and Kevin Wilson some credit here. Kevin Wilson was Dewan Jones's primary recruiter. It wasn't Greg Studrawa. Dewan Jones was the 1043rd rated player in the was that 2019 recruiting class. Yeah. He was the 86th ta- offensive tackle in the country, he came to Ohio State and he's about to be a multi. I mean, he probably is already a multimillionaire because probably an agent has given him advance. He's going to be a first round pick next month and or May. I don't remember what weekend the draft is. He's going to yeah. be a first round pick. Lord and that says a lot about the development and in how at offensive line you can do those things. We mentioned that earlier with with Roebuck. Like, I'm not saying that guys who aren't top 200 players can't be great offensive linemen. That is a, a spot where development, I think, matters more than anywhere else. But Dewan Jones is that's a freak that's a freakish thing. Like that should not happen. It is one of the like when you really break it down, that is one of like the best stories coming up in this draft. Yeah. 100%. All right, last but definitely not least, the one uh winter sport still Oh, actually men's hockey. I forgot about them, but that's not yep, what we're talking hockey. about right now. Um Ohio State's women's basketball team taking on UConn on ABC, the the big network. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's been an awesome aspect of the women's tournament uh, this year is in taking the main broadcasting network of Disney and having games on. I think it's yeah, brought first a lot time of ever. Attention. Yeah. And that's a huge part of it. 4 p.m. Eastern Saturday. I believe the game time is uh, make sure you double check. because I'm not always the best with those. Yep. 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, the 25th. Um, Seattle um, against the Yukon Huskies. I, I feel like everyone knows about them, um, but I think we have to give a lot of credit to Kevin McGuff. This wasn't an easy year for him. Um, star player Jay Sheldon hurt her foot, played all but what, like six, seven regular season games, kind of got rushed back into the tournament. They wrote quite a few wrongs in the tournament, getting revenge against Indiana, beating Michigan. Um, doing all the things you want to see. And then obviously Caitlin Clark happened in the final. Smoked. But, yeah. As, I mean, that was one of the craziest individual performance I've ever seen in any sport ever. But yeah, like just looking at this tournament, you know, I feel like this is probably the first time. And, you know, maybe it's because we have like one of the best women's basketball writers. I'm going to say in the country and uh, Thomas, um, yeah. but I've been incredibly engaged with this tournament. I think a lot of people, that seen the additional coverage people are giving it, um, you know, and I think this is a huge benefit of the men's team not making it is getting your ability to root for a team competing for a championship. Um, and I think it's just been incredibly fun to follow. You know, that James Madison game was unnecessarily stressful for a little bit. The UNC game is <laughs> one of the best basketball games I've watched in the last few years. Um, and I'm very excited for Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been a lot of fun that James Madison game is something that we've seen Ohio State do quite a bit getting down a lot. I mean, they've gotten down by double digits in God, I think three or four games that they've come back and ended up winning um, down by 20 in some games and come back to win Uh, the North Carolina game. They pretty much led throughout, but it kind of went back and forth. Um, And the the aforementioned J.C. Sheldon ends up hitting what was essentially a buzzer beater. It was like one point seven seconds left, I think, uh, hitting a floater in the lane. 
um, they played great. They're go- they're going to have to play even better uh, as they're the number three seed. They're taking on the number two seed in the UConn Huskies uh, on Saturday. They're playing against former Ohio State star Dorka Juhas, who left after not this season, but the previous season. She transferred to UConn, despite the fact that Ohio State went on and won the Big Ten title last season without her. Uh, and I think that'll be really interesting. I if you listen to the Bucketheads episode that came out on Thursday, the uh, our normal Bucketheads guys who cover men's basketball, Justin and Connor, talked with Thomas because uh, Thomas is actually, as we are talking, I think he is either at the airport or on route to Seattle uh, right there right now to cover the games and hopefully games uh, in person as he has been doing for much of this season. Uh, but they broke down kind of like what's going on with like Dorco, like why did she leave? What's the thing there? Like, as far as we know, like nobody's talking about or even like hinting at the fact that there might have been some drama there. It's just like if you get a chance to transfer to UConn and you're a woman's basketball player, like you it's hard do to it. say no. Yeah. You do it. Um, so they're gonna have to play them. Uh, it'll be a, a very exciting game. If they get through them, there's a chance they might have to play Tennessee, who they beat early in the season. Uh, they're currently the number four seed. They're taking on number one seed Virginia Tech. So if Ohio State can beat UConn, they've already beaten Tennessee once this year. But if they have a chance to beat them again, if you if you beat, I mean, fundamentally, two of the top three, I mean, at most three, if you throw Stanford in there, like, yeah, in the history of, of women's basketball, like, that's pretty cool. Uh, will they? I don't know. I mean, I think that the you know the women's game is much more top heavy than the men's game is. So it makes sense that you have um, one, two, three, four in this region. Uh, then again, if you look at the other Seattle region, because they play, they only have two regional sites. So the other region is number two Iowa, Caitlin Clark playing number six Colorado, but then number five Louisville, who I believe Ohio State beat this year as well. Um, I guess number eight Ole Miss. Um, so it, but the. Uh, the one of the other regions is is the top four. Another one of the regions is uh, two, three, four. Except for Miami beat number one Indiana last week, so that was kind of fun too. But yeah, I, I think this team is really exciting. And what's great about them is is that they have multiple players who you can count on to yeah, put up buckets. Awesome. Whether it's J.C. Sheldon, Taylor, Mike Sell, you've got uh, Katie McMahon, who's come off Big Ten Freshman of the Year. You could also get stuff from um, you had Ebony Walker had a great game against North Carolina, but you also have uh, Taylor Theory, uh, Rebecca Mikakoslova. I just screwed up her name, but you know who I'm talking about if you watch the yeah. team. Like, they've got a ton of players, and again, they're still dealing with injuries. Like, they had, um, and I'm going to forget her name, uh, she went to my high school, went to a Pickerington Central grad who had kind of taken over the point guard position when uh, when JC Sheldon yeah, was out earlier. Taylor she got Thierry or now Taylor hey, Theory is is different. Yeah. She's still on the team. It's um, but she's out. She tore her ACL again. So she's out. But oh, like this dang. team is is just fun because you have multiple players who can step up and when they are stepping up it, it really becomes just like pick your poison. And what's yeah. fun about this team is that if you don't haven't watched this team very often, they are a full court press team every single time they have the opportunity. Any yeah, bucket, any made about. bucket, they are going to go into a press and they are going to force you to break the press. And if you can't break the press, it leads to a turnover. It is. And if you can break the press, it eats up a huge amount of the shot clock so you don't have an opportunity to get into your office and offense. And that leads into a lot of fast breaks. They're a fast break offense team, lots of three-pointers. It's just a fun group. And so yeah. uh, I'm hoping we get at least two, if not three, four more games left to watch them this season. Uh, but out in Seattle against UConn should be quite the competition on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about the press, like, 
you know, it's just so fun watching that team. Like, you know, and that's why they're always in every game because they could take a 10, 15-point lead and turn it into six in 40 seconds. And that's been one of the best parts because, you know, you force a turnover, you find Taylor Michael in the corner, boom, you get another steal, Jace Sheldon, easy layup. Uh, you get a defensive stop, Cody McMahon running down the court, full court press, one of the, the most physical basketball players on the planet right now, I'd say. And it's just so fun. It's just such a fun brand of basketball. And, you know, it's, it's really uh, – it's, it's hard to contextualize because um, it is – it's just – it's not like – I don't want it's not sticky, right? It's not like it's not a shtick. It's not like it doesn't feel like West Virginia in men's basketball. It is a really productive <laughs> type of style where even when they don't get the full court press, the way they're able to trap and use the sidelines as an extra defender, it feels like at times there's nine or ten defenders on the floor. And the amount of times you'll see this press and you'll see like a like UNC did it three or four times, right through the ball across the court to nobody. And it's because they feel like there's people chasing them. They feel like there's people coming in front of them. And it's like, honestly, the best way I can describe it, it's like a hornet's nest. Like any, like you knock down yeah. a beehive and they're just everywhere. And then offensively, they just have people who find ways. I think going back to the UNC game, the biggest play of the game was probably the sloppiest play of the game. The ball got knocked around. Down, <laughs> Went everywhere. Walker picked it up and made a layup with like three seconds left on the shot clock. And then that was basically when Ohio State kind of resettled in. They were able to get back to the tempo they wanted to play, and they ended up winning the game with a great shot by Sheldon at the end. But, yeah, I just think it's fun. Uh, you know, it's fun seeing this team grow. It's fun. I think there's going to be – success for years to come like mcguff's not slowing down um and this is a huge opportunity for the program to like you said two of the greatest programs in the history of the sport to really step up or peg right and really just make a name for themselves and i'm not gonna come out here and make some bold proclamation that they're gonna beat uconn but they're going to fight and they're going to live up to the fight song that the band's yeah. going to play and they're going to fight till the end. And that's one of the funnest things to watch about this team. And I think if you haven't tuned in yet, Saturday's a great time to start. I agree. <laughs> so I'm just, I mean, it's fun. It's a good time. Um, yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a good year and I'm glad uh, we've got a guy going to Seattle to cover it because yeah, it'd be great. it's going to be awesome. It's, and, you know, like going back on it, the ABC thing, I think that's so huge. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's just one of those, it's, it's not a small story at all. Like I think people forget like sports have come a long way in itself in 40 years when it comes to their relationship with television. We talk about the big 10 media deal for, this to be in the spotlight for ABC to be like, Hey, we want this to be our main programming prime time all day, Saturday. That's a big step forward for this, for this tournament. Yeah. This is the first time that ABC has ever done this. Uh, they've putting the women's games that have often been on ESPN in, in recent years on the main uh, on the main broadcast linear network. And what's interesting about that is, is we've seen this push, honestly, one something that's been championed by former Lane Grant Hoyland writer and my good friend Kelsey Trainer about investing in women and investing in women in sports. And every time a women's sport gets 
more exposure it does well in terms of ratings in terms yeah. of attention and it makes money that's the thing like these broadcast networks aren't doing things just because they're doing things because they it helps them make money their businesses there's nothing wrong with that like that's literally their job and for years in my opinion they've been like not doing things that could have made them money sooner uh, so by by giving women's sports opportunities to be in the spotlight and for it to be easily accessible by, you know, wider and wider audiences. This is not only good for those media entities, which I cover for in my day job, but it's also just good as, uh, for, for women's sports. It's good for sports fans. Like I said, I used to, I coached a, a women's sport for over a decade at the club, high school and college level. I worked in the front office of a professional softball team. So like women's sport, I love women's sports. So the, the fact that we are now getting the opportunity to see the best college basketball players in the country on ABC in a prime, not, you know, prime there will be prime prime time time. games yeah but i mean like in the in the 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 heart of the tournament in the on a weekend schedule like i think that's great and the national championship game is going to be broadcast uh i i don't know i'm not gonna say that i think it might be on abc it might be on espn i'm not 100 sure uh i I spoke too soon but like it's a big deal yeah, it might, it might I, I think for the extra channel. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a very big deal, and I'm I'm, I'm excited for them, and I'm uh, glad that the Buckeyes are going to be one of the first teams to have an opportunity to play on ABC because uh, they deserve it. Yeah, it's going to be incredibly fun. Uh, I'm glad we got to have this conversation. So make sure you guys are watching. It's a great excuse to break out all that gear you spend a lot of money on, and you know it's it's you're going to hear all the same songs and everything else, and you're going to see Ohio State beat a power and that's what we all it's and it's also fun because how often is Ohio State an underdog like how like that's what I was thinking during the men's basketball tournaments like how often are Ohio State programs counted out it's rare and we're playing the best of the best and it's going to be fun to be taking down Darth Vader and that's 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 what I'm excited about it's time yeah even though it's just a two three matchup like in terms of the seating like it is still anytime you our women's basketball team and you play UConn or even Tennessee for that matter, or even Stanford and obviously South Carolina as the undefeated defending national champions. Like that's a huge deal. Uh, you, you are playing in like a super bowl type matchup because it is the programs. So yeah, very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be it for us today. Oh, we've held you guys here long enough. Um, thanks for jumping on, Matt. I know you're, you've got you. Yeah. Love to love to talk about the Buckeyes. Easy, easy call to make. Um, but yeah, where can we find you? Where can we find any additional work you're doing outside? Give the people what they want. Social media. Uh, yeah, I'm stuff. on uh, Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Uh, like I mentioned my day job a minute ago, I am the news editor for a website called The Streamable that covers streaming services. We keep you up to date on like all the different changes that happen uh, in the world of streaming, what mergers and acquisitions mean, different features that are coming. Just wrote a couple articles on Thursday that are out now about the fact that every major league baseball or I'm sorry, minor league baseball game is going to be available to stream uh, for free on a new Bally's app. Wrote an article about uh, Fubo uh, introducing MLB TV to uh, to its service. So lots of sports stuff going on there. I wrote an article about how YouTube TV can improve its multi-view uh, format that it released for the NCAA tournament. So lots of good sports content over at thestreamable.com as well. 
Awesome. Well, yep. Thanks for jumping on, Matt. And you guys can find me at Chris Runny CFP on Twitter and all my work on Land Grant Holy Land Friday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday, you know, whenever it gets posted. Um, we've got a schedule. I write them and they get put out there. Uh, but yeah, I'll see you guys next Friday. Uh, Jordan should be back and hopefully he has some fun stories to tell. Uh, but thanks again, Matt, for jumping on. And hey, we will see you guys next time.